This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The Ebola outbreak a couple of years ago reminded countries around the globe that there are still many concerns about epidemics in our culture. And some people within the medical sector are worried that we could see in the future a pandemic that hits a major city with more dire consequences. So that is why it is important for the medical sector to look at ways to get ahead of the curve in these situations, making it possible to defeat a disease before it becomes a significant issue. That, in part, is the principle of the book, the new book by Harvard Medical School faculty member Jonathan Quick. The book is titled The End of Pandemics, The Looming Threat to Humanity and How to Stop It. Jonathan is also a faculty member at the Boston University School for Public Health, and he joins us on the show right now. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you, sir. Uh, I'm good to be here. I, I mentioned the concerns of, of some in the medical field about these types of, of issues moving forward. How significant of a concern is it for you and for some of your colleagues? A very serious concern. Uh, we, we remain vulnerable to, uh, to pandemics and epidemics of all sorts. Uh, the, 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 the biggest one, the nightmare one, would be a a reprise of the uh, 1918 Spanish flu, which which killed uh, 50 to 100 million people worldwide. That could happen again. What is but it on a grander? Excuse me, but on a grander scale, what is it that that has, to a degree, I guess, prevented widespread widespread outbreaks in a major city, at least in, in the last few years? Partly, it's simply the biology of the influenza virus. It, uh, it, every 10 to 15 years, you'll have a major outbreak. What happened 100 years ago was an unusual set of mutations which created a virus that was highly deadly and highly contagious. So firstly, we've been, we've been fortunate in terms of the nature of the virus. But the second thing is we've been doing much better, much, much better on vaccination, on uh, the annual flu vaccine, and on good uh, public health practices, hand washing and, and good modern uh, personal health practices. An important part of this book is this plan that you have come up with, uh, which is referred to as the power of seven. Uh, take us through some of the steps that, that you think you would like to see implemented in the future to, to try and take us to the next step in this process. Well, the first is, is strong leadership, where we have had strong leadership as in the case of eradicating smallpox or in our response to a virus out of China called SARS in 2003, where there's been rapid, decisive action. We've put it, we've put that uh, epidemic to rest quickly. So that's number one. The second thing is strong, resilient public health systems that can detect and respond quickly. The third thing is a real focus on prevention, good vaccines. Number four is is a good trustworthy communication that that uh, the public will respond to and take the necessary action. Number number five, really important, is innovation. We need better vaccines. We need better medicines. We need better diagnostics, and we need a, a better early warning system. Uh, number six is investment. We're, we're given the magnitude of the, the the threat. We are seriously underinvesting. 
and and finally, um, we need what we've seen is it takes a committed public to keep the bell ringing between the outbreaks. So even if we know all the things to do, we get we the um, uh, the momentum of of doing innovation, investing. That lapses when the headlines go away and people are back to school and back to work. So that ongoing advocacy and awareness. Well, let, so that's the power of seven. Let me let me ask you about a couple of these and and the investment part. I'll start with with that. And obviously, there are uh, so many uh, organizations that that benefit from funding on all kinds of different elements. My question to you would be: uh, There obviously is an element, some level of element of investment. But it seems like we're not even close to where we need to be. And I'd be interested to get your opinion on why you think we're not there. Well, let me give you an example. We started talking about influenza and, and the, the substantial risk that that presents. I mean, a, a um, virus like the one I spoke of, um, 1918 returning, could kill 200 to 400 million people. We need a a universal flu vaccine, one that attack, that attacks all of the kinds of, all of the strains of, of influenza. We need to be spending a billion dollars a year on that, according to experts. We're only spending, the, the NIH is spending less than 40 million a year. And yet influenza hits the U.S. economy. Uh, the cost of that is over 80 billion a year of direct and indirect. So we're, we're, for a mod, relatively modest amount, we could be protecting ourselves, and we're spending a fraction of that. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get on the phone, you're more than welcome to send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111, B-I-Z Radio 111, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. We are joined on the phone by Dr. Jonathan Quick, who's a faculty member at Harvard Medical School and also uh, the Boston University School of Public Health. Uh, Dr. Quick also Senior Fellow Emeritus at Management Sciences for Health. He is the author of the new book, The End of Epidemics, The Looming Threat to Humanity and How to Stop It. 844-942-7866 is the number to, to give us uh, a call. So I guess to put this in perspective to a degree, you say that that killer viruses are more dangerous than, say, ISIS or, or a ground war or a nuclear bomb, correct? Potentially, yeah. How so? It, well, here's the thing. Um, if you if you look at it from let's look at it from a business point of view, a a pandemic that within a couple hundred days gets to every population center in the world is affecting your suppliers, your staff, your customers, and um, and basically affecting the the transport and everything else. It's the only thing that can get everywhere in effect, uh, really, as I say, every every part of, of a business. Um, and most other threats that we think about are either one location, like an active shooter, or one system, like a cyber threat. Um, you you certainly, if you had a sort of a, a 4th of July uh, level of, of nuclear exchange uh, fireworks, that, that would be catastrophic. 
844. But that's still one part of the world. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Going back to your power of seven, the communication part of it, who in your mind is really the driver of that communication piece? I, I mean, obviously, organizations like the NIH and, and others uh, are a part of it, but there are probably a variety of other angles that, that could uh, and organizations that could be used to drive that communication home. Yes, and it, and it really, these days, it really needs to be all channels. Uh, people, we, we found in, in, uh, in West Africa that um, actually there was quite active social media and a very large uh, percentage of which was, was, was wrong, but was believed more than what the government was saying. So we, we need to um, build trust in each of the communication mechanisms and align the messages so we look to the centers, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control for uh, the core messages and then look to social media and the uh, print media and, and also um, our, our local institutions to uh, schools to really get out the same message based on the best available evidence. You mentioned the, the, the committed public, which obviously, I guess, plays into that message delivering as well, especially in this day and age of social media. As you said, having the, the connectivity of social media in a place like West Africa, uh, if you're also able to spread this message via social media, then, then you're, you're, you're really being able to, to handle part of the problem in a very effective manner and reach millions upon millions of people. Yes. Yes, but what's critical is early in life to, to, to understand how to be skeptical and to ferret out what are, the, what are the sources you can have confidence in and what are the sources that are, are not reliable. And, and that is a critical part of education in, in, the, uh, in the 21st century. But the economic piece behind dealing with epidemics is a massive one. Uh, we're talking billions upon billions of dollars that, uh, you know, if we're able to, to find a way to be able to handle some of these epidemics, you, you can, you're talking about all of that money being able to possibly being used in, in other very positive uh, manners as well. Absolutely. I mean, we're spending, we're spending a fortune on, uh, on responding to these major epidemics, but we're spent we're spending it all in the wrong place at the wrong time. If we we should be spending ahead to prevent, we estimate that every for every um, dollar spent on on ramping up our prevention returns two to ten dollars in in savings. How much of that looking ahead is actually happening right now? Well, I, I have to say I've been very heartened by. The events since since Ebola that has stimulated the 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 biggest acceleration globally in in work to improve pandemic and epidemic readiness. We're starting to see that momentum waning, but we have to understand that being safe anywhere means being safe everywhere, and the reality is that. Two out of three countries worldwide still don't have the systems to identify and, and respond. And, and in a place like like West Africa, uh, there wasn't even the infrastructure to be able to to handle a lot of, uh, of what was coming forth with Ebola at the time. A lot of that had to be brought in, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
at the beginning, and it was it was the worst three set of countries you could have chosen because of uh, they're among the poorest and have had the the most uh, challenging uh, leadership and all. What was fascinating, though, and the untold story is once the communities got mobilized in West Africa, you, you know, we look at the upturn of the, the epidemic, but when you look at the downturn, they were very successful quickly. The people from West Africa, once they understood what needed to be done and they mobilized the churches, the, the religious leaders, the, the, in, the market women, the, uh, uh, the, the traditional healers, when they mobilized everybody, they really quickly brought it to an end. One of the things it's also mentioned is the fact that, to a degree, in part, uh, some of the potential issues we are seeing because of climate change uh, is also, to a degree, helping accelerate the potential for some of these diseases because of how animals are having to react to climate change. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and just one example of that is what's happening with mosquitoes. And yeah. the, the spread, we, we had, many of us were, were really concerned when the Zika virus came out of West Africa, ended up in Brazil and in, in the southern U.S. Not a very dangerous virus to healthy people, but horrific uh, birth defects, um, my, small, small heads and, and all. That virus slept quietly for 50 years in West Africa, started moving in the mosquitoes, and actually more than 30 states in the U.S. have the mosquito that, uh, that carries the, uh, the Zika virus. And we're going to see mosquito populations in places where we hadn't seen them before. So in terms of the Zika, in the wake of what, as you said, was seen in Brazil and, and Cuba, I think also, and Puerto Rico to a degree, and, and down in Florida as well, what has been the mindset to try and, as is kind of the narrative of this book, try and get ahead of the Zika virus so that you can try and, and either A, manage it, or B, eliminate it? Well, it. It's a it's a multi it's a multi part thing. The first, well, number one, getting a a effective proven Zika uh, vaccine that that's really important. The second thing is the the mosquito that carries Zika is is quite a different mosquito than the malaria one. So it's a it's an urban mosquito for which we don't have the best control, and so so that's the that's the second part of it. And, and the third thing is getting a, a diagnostic so that which which is coming now, um, which would let us actually do a uh, even more active real time surveillance of of where it is. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number if you would like to join in. Uh, we are talking with Dr. Jonathan Quick, who is the author of the book "The End of Epidemics: The Looming Threat to Humanity and How to Stop It." Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, or again. If you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Obviously, some locations around the globe, Dr. Quick, 
are potentially, and to a degree West Africa was this, as you mentioned, a place where these types of diseases have the have a great opportunity to grow. But I think people are, are taken aback when you talk about the possibility of seeing this type of a disease or another disease in a major city, whether that be Paris or London or New York or here in Philadelphia, wherever it might be. It, it, should people really start to think about that in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, one of the one of the factors that uh, accelerated Ebola and the accelerated accelerates influenza and and others is is being in major cities. It's 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 the crowding, um, and um, so I, I think people should be concerned. And, it, it, and in fact, whether they're in cities or, or rural areas, it, it is it is a major concern. And we've talked about influenza as the, the the virus that is most likely to get us. Um, Bill Gates, in a um, wonderful four and a half minute uh, video, what Bill Gates fears the most, he figures it's a fifty percent chance in his lifetime that we're going to have a big uh, flu epidemic that that is is multiples of what we're seeing right now. Dr. Jonathan Quick joining us on the show. The book is The End of Epidemics. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You mentioned the uh, the flu pandemic back in 1918, and, and obviously the, the, the millions of people that were affected and, and killed by that, uh, but even with the technology advancements that we have, uh, influenza is still something that impacts millions upon millions of people every year. And in fact, the, the, I think a lot of people are still would consider the fact that you have to go get shots for the flu uh, on a re, you know on a current basis as something that is surprising in this day and age. Uh, yeah, it is surprising, and yet it it uh, it's understandable. From the point of view of the flu virus being the the most mercurial and wiliest, uh, many varieties and a lot of mutation, but it's it's in other ways unacceptable in the sense that we've we've not had a good flu vaccine. It, it's actually the 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 most variable in its effectiveness over from year to year. And we haven't invested what we need to in getting the so-called universal influenza vaccine, which is one that will, will get all strains and, and be effective over a season. So uh, the surprise is partly in, in nature, but the, the bigger surprise is that we're just being too complacent about it. We're, we're not tackling it. Right. We go to the phones uh, in Seattle, Washington. Cindy is on the line. Cindy, go ahead. Yes, um, you just touched on my key question, which is how to overcome objections to vaccines. There's a lot of new information, and even parents are choosing to not vaccinate their children. So a super vaccine sounds even more scary, really, when you look at it from that perspective. And how, um, how would they show some sort of testing and ensuring that there's not longer-term effects to the uh, vaccine to prevent the disease? Jonathan? Yes, this uh, the concerns about vaccines and vaccine safety go way, way back to the to the earliest uh, smallpox vaccines a couple hundred years ago. 
vaccine production and testing has gotten much, much, much safer. And so the vaccines that are on the market today are really well proven. The, uh, the problem that we've had with measles vaccine was, was actually started by a, um, a, a, a false article in one of the leading medical journals 20 years ago, which has gotten this idea implanted in many people's minds that uh, the, the vaccine will cause autism. And the, the evidence is, is, is overwhelming that it doesn't. And so we do have a challenge in, um, in people understanding the safety of vaccines. And that has to be, a, again, a multi, uh, kind of a multi-part communication process. Um, people who strongly believe that vaccine causes, uh, causes harm to their, to their children aren't actually convinced by more evidence. They so, need to be convinced by another mother who has lost a child to a yeah. preventable disease because they didn't get vaccinated. And we're seeing more and more of that kind of communication. Cindy, thanks for the call. We go to Indiana. John is on the line. John, go ahead. Hey there. Uh, thanks for letting me on. I'm curious uh, if you could elaborate on how exactly the estimate for the investment that's needed uh, to improve the current state of handling epidemics is determined. All right. Uh, Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, well, there, there really there, there are three parts to that. Um, the biggest part, so the, we're, we're, the, the estimate is basically $7.5 billion a year of extra money. That's uh, a dollar per person for every person on the planet. It just worked out that way. And uh, about 60% of that is based on the uh, cost to, to strengthen national and local health systems to be able to identify the, uh, the outbreaks and rapidly respond. But um, uh, a third of it, or quarter of it, is the research in several critical areas. The universal influenza vaccines, one biggie, uh, vaccines and medicines for some of the other pathogens, and then a relatively small part of that is for the uh, to ramp up the emergency response. John, thanks very much for the call. Greatly appreciate it. Dr. Quick, thank you for your time. We wish you all the best with the book, and we look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thank you, Dan. Good to talk with you. Thank you. Uh, Jonathan Quick uh, at uh, Harvard Medical School. The book is The End of Epidemics, The Looming Threat to Humanity and How to Stop It. book is available in bookstores and online for your purchase now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.